coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. Uh, you've got Tyler and myself, Brad. And today we're talking about common external pen test findings. Like what are the things that we see over and over and over again, you know, and we're going to have some interesting ones that are, you know, um, th that we see that have a lot of impact too. Right. Uh, so quick admin though, uh, if you find this useful, please rate, share, like, um, that's the best thing you can do to help us out. And if you need to reach out to us, there'll be links in the description on how to do that. So, all right, external pen test findings, Tyler. You know, you probably do more external pen tests than anybody else on the team. So, uh, so let's get started. What's your what's your favorite finding to see? Like, what's the most interesting thing that you that you find on a regular basis? My one hundred percent all time favorite is user enumeration on law firms when yeah. they have their lawyers listed on pages, and uh, those mail to addresses are just baked into the HTML. Yeah. And you just get lists of hundreds of emails from all their <clears throat> litigation people. It's got to yeah. be my favorite. Yeah, it is. It is kind of nice. And and I, I mean, to, to some degree, I understand why they do that. Right. Um, but man, is it just low hanging fruit for us. Um, and, and so a lot of times there'll be even, you know, even cooler information on other places. Right. So I think you and I had a conversation about um like spotlighting people where they'll, they'll give out personal information. Right. So there'll be like a, a sports page on a college and they're like, yeah, this is our, like, you know, number one star dude. Here's his favorite color, his favorite word, his birth date, his mother's maiden name. And I'm like, why are you giving this stuff out? Because these are all answers to security questions <clears throat> that they're used all over the internet. Right. Shouldn't be used, but yeah, that's a different conversation. I agree, <clears throat> agreed, agreed. But you know, but you know, I think it's just a difference in the mindset. <clears throat> you know, there people don't see the harm in giving this information out for free. And meanwhile, you know, we're soaking it up. We're like, oh, this is gonna be a great pen test, you know. Yeah, well, people are inherently like ignorant to things like that, especially revolving security, and it's nobody's fault. It's just yeah, you know, when you're not aware, there's no need to be aware. Um, yeah. and so when it comes to things like putting personal information out on the internet. Uh, and allowing people like me and other malicious entities to just, you know, digest that information and then use it, you know, accordingly, it, it becomes a, a bigger issue. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so one of my favorite findings now, you know, my, my kind of niche has always been web apps. And so I get very interested when I find, um, you know, web applications that are behaving badly. So cross-site scripting still after over 20 years of being, you know, in, in the forefront of conversations, we've been talking about input validation. We've been talking about all this stuff for years, man, since the beginning of my days in security. And we still find it all the time, you know, mm -hmm. usually related to like uh, jQuery. jQuery is like the worst offender when it comes to that. Yeah, I think it's one of the most uh, fascinating or satisfying when you make it successful POC for it and then everything yeah. works and your cross-site yeah. scripting payload is just flawless. Yeah. Like watching Darius make his for <clears throat> that one company where he went all out with it. Um, that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. And you can do some really cool things. A lot of people get a little bit desensitized, I think, to the to the idea of cross-site scripting. They're like, oh, you can you can make an alert pop up on the screen. Like, bruh, I can do <laughs> so much more than that. You know, and and so a lot of folks don't realize that, you know, cross-site scripting is almost always used in conjunction with another vulnerability or another type of attack. It in of itself, unless it's stored cross-site scripting, 
um, which is a lot less common, you know, doesn't present a tremendous amount of risk. But when coupled with other things like phishing attacks, you know, I can make a very convincing phishing attack using your website and in creating forms through cross-site scripting. So, um, you know, and, and if you have course vulnerabilities or you are, uh, you know, have other misconfigurations on that site, it makes it even better. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, so it's kind of a two part thing for me. It's it's yes, cross site scripting is a thing, but but it's really part of a larger issue, which is we're rolling in libraries to our apps that we're either not updating or that we're not vetting properly. You know, so, I think that that speaks to a few of our common findings as well is out of date libraries for jQuery in addition to that WordPress. And it speaks to a larger issue of people not doing uh, like patch management on the smaller things. You know, it's great if your Apache's up to date to the latest version. Um, but if your WordPress is just riddled with every vulnerability in the book, you know, like yeah. how much how much coverage do you really have? So you just hit on two things, right? So um, let's talk about WordPress because that's kind of in that same vein. And it is super common for us to find issues with that. Um, and, and a lot of folks, the number one response I get when we present these findings is, oh, it's just our Word page, our, Word, our WordPress page. You know, like it's not mm -hmm. really a big deal. There's no there's no client data. There's no sensitive information there. It's just our web presence. And I'm like, OK, cool. So I wonder if someone were to change your website and, and sprinkle pornography all over it, if that would impact your reputation in the community that you're in. Right. Or if they were to bounce something off of that site or leverage that site to launch attacks and suddenly that site gets blacklisted. Right. And becomes, um, you know know, banned so that it can't be accessed through through normal proxies and suddenly people can't get to it. There are a lot of things, not just reputational, but there are technical risks associated with with you having a branded site that is now, you know, belongs to the bad guys. Yep. And a lot of the times uh, the companies don't even host those websites. It's easier mm -hmm. to just have them hosted somewhere else and somebody else is responsible for your WordPress. But that does not mean that that person is going to update WordPress the instance a new version comes out. Right. And a lot of the times what we see is those plugins that people are using or even the main version of WordPress going out of date or even some plugins being unsupported with some pretty high risk vulnerabilities and nobody knows because nobody's checked. So, mm -hmm. you know, that that just speaks to the bigger issue that you said is, you know, just because it's your main website and there's no client data associated with it and it's hosted somewhere else does not mean that it doesn't present, you know, direct and high risk to you. Agreed a hundred percent. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> speaking of websites, this one pops up, I think on 99% of our external pen tests, usually it's something we find either with, um, like a Nikto SSL scan, Nessus, something like that. Um, and it's TLS uh, SSL issues, right? It's either like SSL 3.0 is still enabled or maybe TLS 1.1, or it's a misconfigured certificate with vulnerable ciphers. Um, how much real risk does that present? And, and, you know, why do you think we see that all the time? CVSS carries that as, you know, generically when you see um, out-of-date TLS or deprecated TLS protocols like 1 and 1.1, you're looking at a medium. Uh, higher things like Suite 32, for whatever reason, you know, you're looking at a high risk. And then SSL 2 and 3, you're looking at criticals. So, you know, it, it varies based on what you have. 
Um, what is the actual risk to your organization? The number does not do it justice um, in, in the reverse way that that sounds. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. TLS and SSL vulnerabilities, you know, how many times have we seen them exploited in the wild? <laughs> Zero, man. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the common things that people are getting popped for are phishing campaigns and things of that nature, not your TLS and SSL issues. Yeah. Look, man, I agree with you, right? I mean, I'm not... <clears throat> I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, you can't possibly be attacked using one of these vulnerabilities, but if I'm going to report a critical finding or even a high risk finding to a client, th there needs to be a substantial, <clears throat> excuse me, there needs to be a substantial amount of risk associated with that. I mean, that's what the words mean is high risk, critical risk. So um, why are we communicating Suite 32? And, and by the way, I'm looking at you, Nessus. Why are you telling clients that, that their Suite 32 vulnerability is like a 10.0 on, uh, um, on, a, on a CVSS score rating? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it's like alongside remote code execution. Like, bro, you're going to tell me that, you know, your Cypher Suites are just as important as an Apache Tomcat RCE. No way. It's not the same thing. And so, uh, you know, maybe medium risk. Most of the attacks are theoretical, right? Most of the attacks are, uh, you know, require a certain amount of mathematical calculations to possibly predict, you know, some, some section of the key. Like, they're very convoluted attack mechanisms. And almost all of them require the attacker to be in line, meaning man-in-the-middle type of attack. They have to be either on the network or an adjacent network to intercept the communications. So the bar is really high for those. And it's kind of a, actually a pet peeve of mine that we see these vulnerability reports come out and, you know, Suite 32 is way, way up here. And then, you know, cross-site scripting is like 8.5. And I'm like, bro, those are not the same thing. Those are so reversed. You know, it's the same thing with the, uh, what, what's the, the Microsoft Exchange mm -hmm. IP disclosure that yep. we see all the time. Dude, it, it, there, there's only three non-routable ranges, right? 10, 172, and 192. I can figure out what your DMZ IP scheme is. It is not a hard thing to do. Should it be a high risk vulnerability that your exchange server discloses it? I don't think so. Well, it's like, what can you do with that high risk? Can I sit on the outside of your network and beat the crap out of your exchange server because I have its internal IP? No, 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 no. <clears throat> so, I mean, I remember when we start, when we first started having conversations, this is back in like the mid to, mid to early two thousands. Um, we were we were enumerating, trying to find ways to enumerate the internal IP scheme so that similar to the meta disclosure of the 169 address in AWS, you could make requests to unprotected assets inside the DMZ. That was 20 years ago, though. We don't care anymore, right? The, in, the internal interfaces of those assets are supposed to be relatively well secured. And so it's just a different world. And I, and I just think a lot of these vulnerability ratings have not caught up with the threat landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a larger part of um, the Microsoft Exchange internal IP disclosure is on-prem exchange in general. Yeah, um, which is going away. If you're still using on-prem exchange, this is your telltale sign. Like if you need a sign, this is it. Go get rid yep. of it. Get rid of yep. it, deprecate it, and move on. Um, yep. 
Because in addition to having those uh, IP disclosures, we also commonly see NTLM endpoints associated with these exchange servers. Um, and a lot of the times these NTLM endpoints are non-MFA'd unless you have a third-party solution implemented. Yep. And they also run basic authentication straight to that server. Yeah. So, you know, these these NTLM endpoints that you have enabled over HTTP that you just don't know about um, still present risk just because, you know, they're enabled. Yeah, totally agree with that, by the way. And great transition from that one topic to the next. So, um, you know, we see the NTLM um, over HTTP uh, pretty often, like you said, almost always when when exchanges on prem and um, you no vulnerability scanner finds this thing. Right. It's just it's just an integrated component of exchange. And, and the, I think the original intent was for people to be able to authenticate through the Outlook client. But like you said, the problem is I can directly basically I can bump bump credentials against Active Directory from the Internet with no MFA. Now, I can't log into your environment, so it's not that level of risk, but I can validate credentials pretty much unchecked. And so that's a huge deal for me, right, as, a, as an external attacker trying to find valid credentials. Because, by the way, if I have valid credentials and I know they're valid, I can start looking for MFA bypasses, right? I can, I can do, you know, push bombs or I can do uh, different types of things to get around that. So to me, this is a substantial problem. Microsoft is like, yep, working as intended never going to fix it, you know? And when we talk to clients, they're like, what do we do? And, you know, we, we always hate to tell clients go out and buy a thing, right? We want to tell them to, to fix configurations. And so it, it's actually a pretty difficult thing to fix. And in some cases, depending on your, your client architecture, you may not be able to turn it off at all. So, yeah. And I think we, we saw that with, um, was it the RDP, any connect like RD yeah. web, Mm-hmm. Uh, has RPC is one of those NTLM endpoints, but it's you can't do anything about it. Um, yep. You can start, you, you can stop using RD Web, but then yep. your VPN solution um, gone. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, buy something different, you know. But by the way, Microsoft stop putting internal protocols on the internet as shortcuts because that's exactly what happened here in both uh, RD web and the uh, exchange environment is they're like hey we already have this really cool authentication protocol why don't we just slap HTTP over it <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and it's like guys I mean it's, it was NTLM was not designed to be on the public internet you know so yeah. it is what it is <clears throat> Okay, so there's um, there's one more, two more. There's two more on the list we haven't talked about. We did kind of talk really briefly ab- about Apache. <clears throat> and so Apache is just super common web service, right? It's a web server, rather. And so um, the problem is people put it out there, and because it doesn't automatically update like IIS and Windows does, that it sits out there for a really long time. You have to manually update Apache. Dude, we have seen some old Apache instances, like 10 plus years old since they saw a patch. Um, and, and so anytime we see Apache, we're like, oh, OK, all right. And so now we go digging through um, CVEs to find, you know, an RCE and, uh, and try to attack it. So, but, you know, once again, the broader issue, uh, patch management, knowing what you have and updating it accordingly, like. Yes, yep. it's it's a pain in that uh, blocking and tackling, man. To uh, just 
Yep. You know, find everything that you have, know what it is and update it. But, you know, like it sounds so simple your, when you say it that way, <laughs> you save yourself a lot of trouble in the end because you're yeah. you're reducing your attack surface and attackers are all about efficiency. And if yep. your environment doesn't look efficient, you know, like, are they really going to spend a lot of time trying to break something when they could just move on to another organization? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was there's there's something called the broken window theory. And if you if you've never heard of it, as you know, I, I would uh, advise that you check it out. And, and it's the idea of once things get unorganized and messy, um, it, it snowballs and it just continues to get worse. Right. And, and the, the, the theory is basically that, you know, if you don't fix the broken window, the whole neighborhood goes to crap because you're not keeping up with the maintenance of something simple like a window. And so. I'm firmly a believer in this theory, and I think it applies to your IT tech stack as well. You know, if you don't have good um, vulnerability management program, if you don't have a good um, asset identification and management program, everything that is downstream of that to include security is going to be a bad neighborhood, right? Um, So anyway, enough off of that side mission there, but. Uh, all right. So the last one, I'm going to let you talk about this one because it's your wheelhouse squarely and it's DMARC. We see it almost every single pin. And we see it so much. In fact, when we see one that's correctly set up and configured, we want to take a picture of it. We're just like, oh, wow, check this thing out. It's actually correct. So yeah. we always mention it in the handoff meeting because it's just one of those things. That it's like I look at an organization as coin flip, whether they have DMARC or not. And yep. people don't understand the you know, how pivotal DMARC is. Um, Just a real life story to show some application here. We had a smaller company reach out to us a while back because a hacker was threatening to blackmail them. Um, And they said that they were going to just start sending emails on their behalf. And this person, this this company comes to us and like, what do we do? And it's like DMARC, DMARC. You need to set up a DMARC record. You need to set up an SPF record and you need to implement DKIM. Because mm-hmm. DMARC is a threefold thing. So you have to have all three components for it to work. In short, DMARC is your policy. So this is going to tell um, uh, other organizations what to do with mail that comes from your domain that isn't authorized. Mm-hmm. Um, your SPF record specifies who's authorized. You put in, um, you can put in net blocks, you can put in individual IPs, you put in um, like your hosting mail servers like Outlook and Google, whoever sends email on behalf of you needs to go on your SPF record and then DKIM implement signing on your emails. And those are checked uh, back against your DNS for that private key. Um, and so your emails are just three, uh, twofold validated. And then that DMARC policy will tell people, hey, <clears throat> this email isn't validated. My policy set to reject and their mail servers are never going to send that mail to the receiving person. So yep. it really just, it, it, it protects you. And it's one of those things. It's like, I have your back if you have mine. Like mm-hmm. everybody has to implement DMARC for it to work as it's intended to, but it at least saves your organization from, um, you know, things like your, your phishing attacks. Like people can't fish on behalf of your organization. So love it. Yep. And, and it's these kind of things that kind of go back to that blocking and tackling and, um, you know, the whole hygiene, we actually use that word a lot when we're communicating with clients and, you know, we, we don't really, we, can, we, we can't articulate and say, Hey man, everything you have is really messed up. What we can say is that there are indicators of poor hygiene 
indicators of things that you're not doing well that are either free or low effort that give me the impression that, um, you know, you need to do more research and apply more effort towards, you know, the security of your environment. So, and for the people that just don't know about it, DMARC is 100% free to implement. Yeah. I've written a white paper on it. Um, that's on our blog. Yeah, go check that out. Yeah, that's free information for you. You know, you can become an expert in DMARC just by, you know, checking out all this information that Tyler's put together. And so I I didn't even plan on like plugging that, but it's, it's, it's valid and it applies here. So, um, all right, folks, uh, that's kind of it for us on, you know, these common findings that we see. Basically, everything that we've talked about is, is free to fix you know, except for the exchange thing. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, in, uh, enjoy your week folks. And, um, you know, if you like subscribe, you know, share all that good stuff, uh, and we'll see you next Wednesday.